Oh, let's get it. Monday, June 21st, 2021. Born the Battle, brought to you by the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, the podcast that focuses on inspiring veteran stories and puts a highlight on important resources, offices, and benefits for our veterans. I am your host, Marine Corps veteran Tanner Iskra. Wherever and however you're listening to Born the Battle, be it Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, the player inside the blog, hope you're having a good time this week outside of podcast land. Personally, I'm doing all right. So I hate going to the doctor, right? My wife, my ride or die, she says I need to go. I will only really go if something is obviously wrong with me. Probably not the best practice, but that's just me. So I did make a VA appointment recently. I went in there and then they mentioned that, hey, you know, we asked you back in 2019 to come in and do some blood work and you never showed up. The lab is open, so let's get in there. So I went in and I remember my wife uh, wanted certain blood test results done on me anyways. So I went into the blood draw area and I asked the lady there who takes my blood if they can add certain tests to the order, like in the draw blood draw area, like as they were drawing my blood, I'm asking for extra tests. I have no idea what I'm asking for. I'm just reading the text message from the wife. They had another lady came in as well to figure out and double check to make sure I got the orders I'm requesting, uh, make sure they got them right. Point being, the Fredericksburg, Virginia Seabock could not have been more accommodating there in that blood work room to make sure that I got what I needed. So shout out to them. Couple ratings this week. Also, a new review came in. Uh, kind of falls in line with most of the feedback that we got from episode 245. This one is from Amy V-A-C-L-O. I think Valco is a VA clinic, right? Amy, you're just going to have to email me at podcast at va.gov and tell me. It says five stars. Love this podcast and episode 245. Proud to work at VA, recognizing work like Josh Seafreeds and celebrating Pride Month. Absolutely, Amy. Uh, before my talk with Josh, I did not know that an unintended consequence of Don't Ask, Don't Tell, and I guess this happened frequently, uh, was blackmail for sexual favors. If you don't do X, I'm going to out you. Something that I had never even considered. I'm glad that Josh was one of our service members to say enough was enough. And let's just get it repealed. Glad to have that opportunity to bring that conversation to you during Pride Month. And thank you again to Josh for sharing it. Again, please feel free to get on Apple Podcasts, just as Amy did, and leave a review. Doing so helps us climb higher in the algorithms and gives more veterans the better opportunity to discover and listen to the interviews, our benefits breakdown episodes, and discover what's in the news releases provided in each episode. Speaking of news releases, I got two, and I'll touch base with one that's out there, one quick one. The quick one is that retired U.S. Army Major General Dr. Stone is stepping down as acting undersecretary for health. Serving since the last administration, he is stepping down to ensure that the incoming undersecretary can fully assume leadership of the Veterans Health Administration. That's in charge of all the health in VA. Dr. Stone is leaving in July, and Secretary McDonough put out a statement thanking him and wishing him the best in his future endeavors, and we also wish him the best as well. Okay, the first big one says, for immediate release, the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs recently hosted the 2021 Minority Summit, The Power of Collaborating with VA, on June 9th 
to strengthen and expand its relationships with minority-serving colleges, universities, medical schools, and professional organizations. The Office of Academic Affiliations hosted more than 700 participants in a collaborative effort to increase academic affiliations with minority-serving institutions to create a more diverse cadre of health professional trainees to learn and care for veteran patients at VA. Some of the discussions centered around affiliation, scholarship, and research opportunities available through the Department of Veterans Affairs. The Veterans Health Administration is the largest education and training program for health professionals in the U.S., working with 97% of the country's medical schools and more than 1,800 universities and colleges. Each year, over 120,000 trainees in over 40 clinical health profession education programs, including nearly 20,000 students from minority-serving institutions, train in a VA facility. Approximately 70% of the country's physicians have participated in training at the department. To learn more about VA's mission of training healthcare professionals, go to www.va.gov forward slash OAA. Okay, and the last one says for immediate release, the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs is partnering with Salesforce to offer programs that will help veterans and spouses develop skills and employment options in a tech-driven economy. The partnership will build on existing programs and add new ones, offering free technical skills training, career development, and veteran-specific resources in a variety of programs, including Vet Success on Campus, Veterans Opportunity to Work, the Hiring Our Heroes Fellowships, and the Trailhead Military Programs. And there are links to each of these programs in the press release, so I'll provide a link to the news release at the bottom of this episode's blog on blogs.va.gov so you can check them out. The program includes virtual self-paced skills training and opportunities to take Salesforce certificate exams at no cost. Salesforce will help program participants connect with potential employers. The initiative will also educate veterans and their spouses about VA benefits, vocational readiness programs, and other resources. For more information, visit va.gov forward slash health partnerships. And that last part is all one word. All right, so it is not only Pride Month, it is also PTSD Awareness Month. And I guess you would call it a a symptom of PTSD for some, for many actually, is suicidal ideation. Our guests this week are looking to bring veterans together using humor and camaraderie to improve mental health and prevent veteran suicide. They are Texas National Guard veteran Cindy McNally and Marine veteran Nate McDonald, the president and vice president of irreverent warriors, which put on Silky's hikes all around the country. Enjoy. President, Vice President of Irreverent Warriors, uh, very thankful to have you both on at the same time. Um, Cindy, National Guard veteran in your own right, uh, but you're a military spouse, uh, widow as well. Uh, the second part of VA's motto uh, calls on us for, to care for the widows and the orphans uh, of those that have borne the battle. Uh, my predecessor, Bonnie, or my predecessor interviewed Bonnie Carroll from TAPS mm. within like the first yes. hundred episodes of Born the Battle. She's uh, amazing. She is a very, like, like you know, she's a very well-documented um, uh, widow of a veteran who died in a military accident. And it was the impetus behind her starting TAPS and transition assistance program for survivors has done so much for, for military uh surviving spouses and, and sons and daughters of the fallen service members. I say all that to say this, uh, sometimes to tell the service member story 
the only way is to talk to their spouse. Um, so please uh, tell me the story of how you became so ingrained in this community. <clears throat> well, it started out with um, Ray and I met in the gym and he was uh, just an amazing, bigger than life guy, very driven, very, um, um, like I said, just bigger than life. He, he, everybody knew who Rand McNally was. <clears throat> and, um, we had an amazing family. We had three kids and, um, but, but Rand was tormented. He had, uh, he had his demons that he struggled with for years and years. We tried everything, uh, family counseling, one-on-one counseling, his counseling and my counseling. We tried it all, um, medication. And, uh, he just wasn't able to overcome, um, his demons here. And, uh, so it was in 2007 that uh, he ended that torment uh, with a single gunshot wound to the head. And um, well, I guess you couldn't do more than that. <laughs> um, yeah, you can, but you're a bad shot. Yeah, <laughs> he was a good shot. <laughs> That's a um, warriors, man. I don't know. I don't know what to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but. Um, but Stephanie, my daughter, was downrange at the time. She was active duty, and um, my other two kids were at the house. And um, um, the they unfortunate were in the house thing is that happened. no, he was somewhere else. He was somewhere else. And okay. uh, the unfortunate okay. thing is that uh, he didn't take his demons with him. He left them behind um, for my kids, and we've been struggling ever since. Sorry to hear that. Um, so he, your husband Rand was a, a Marine Corps veteran, correct? Yeah, he uh, graduated in Naval Academy class of 76, uh, went to BUDS, uh, washed out, and was in the hospital when the Marine Corps liaison came in. And the Navy wouldn't let him fly fighters, so which is why he went to BUDS. But the Marine Corps came in and said they'd let him fly fighters, so he switched from Navy to Marine Corps right there. I got a job for you. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, they're like, get up, let's go. Outstanding. Uh, that sounds very Marine Corps. Uh, for me, it was, uh, I, I walked out of the Air Force dejected because I had a speeding ticket. I walked out of the recruiters and and my recruiter, my Marine Corps recruiter was like, I got a job for you. Don't worry about you. I got you. And I'll pay your tickets too. You'll that's, be fine. That's, that's, yeah. That's how we take care of our own, right? And that's yeah, sold me on the brotherhood and all that. Yeah. So, um, so you mentioned de- demons uh, being left behind. What demons were left behind for, for you and your children? Um, well, we have struggled um, as a family, but each kid has um, addictions is, is the biggie. But I think if you were to go to the self-help section of the library and pull out any book, my family, my three kids and I have lived at least one chapter of every book that you could pull out of that self-help section of the library. Uh, we've dealt with everything from substance abuse to marriage problems to um, financial problems um, they've all been diagnosed with various mental health issues, depending on the therapist they're seeing at the time, which is crazy in itself. Um, so we, we have struggled. I, I will say it's, um, all three kids are now moving in the right direction and it's been a decade. So, or over a decade. So we are all, we came together like a pack so good here. and, uh, we're moving forward, but we That's will good. always, um, we will never feel at peace. We know that we will always be in recovery mode and we just have to hold each other accountable and, and be there for each other. And that's kind of what brought me into irreverent warriors. Gotcha. So what you're saying is, uh, suicide 
did not solve anything for anybody in that situation. No, it did not. And one of the things that um, people don't think about when they're entertaining this thought is the wake of destruction they leave behind. Um, not mm-hmm. Financial is, is a huge one because unless you're in order, your finances are in order, that family, you're going to be devastated. Um, so there's always the financial issues. Of course, there's the emotional issues. And then, you know, just to be really raw about things, who's going to clean up that mess? That they don't think about those things. And it's usually your family that walks in yeah. and uh, you, you don't recover from that. Yeah, it's, it's amazing to think that in so many cases when a veteran or anyone commits suicide, they have in their brains this idea that they're making an unselfish act happen. That they're, they're saving their family or someone else from having to deal with their problems. And they don't realize, like Cindy was saying, all the backlash of that, the after effects. And just the emotional toll itself, even if the finances and everything else are in line, you, like that's not something you come back from unscathed. There's trauma there. Yeah. There's trauma in, you know, for example, my son, at the time, he was a cross-country skier. He was a, um, a tri-state champion, junior Olympic champion, uh, ran with oh, his wow. coach. Um, when Rand died, well, he was getting full scholarship offers as a freshman in high school. Um, when Rand died, he hung up his skis, hasn't put his skis on since. So not only did he not go to college on a scholarship, um, he ended up going to the army instead. (laughs) 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 But, um, oh man. Yeah. It's, it's, but everyone's changed his trajectory. Yeah, yep. he could have joined Marine Corps. We don't we don't even know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh Nate, when did you know that the Marine Corps was going to be the next phase in your life? Oh, that's that's a funny question actually. Um so so I grew up around it's Usually funny for the most of us. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> so so I grew up in a very conservative family. Uh, most of my relatives had uh very respectful of the military, but very few had actually done anything with it. I think a few reservists, but my grandfather, who was uh, a profound impact on my life with, without me knowing it at the time, I was very young. He served in World War II as a half-track commander. And anytime his service came up, anytime he talked about his service, it was this glowing pride. He didn't share war stories or, oh, I did so many amazing things. It was just this sense of pride that he, he kind of communicated just, just with his countenance when he talked about I, I served and it was, it was such an amazing thing. And that was something I wanted to be a part of. I wanted to serve my country and then have that sense of pride, having known that I, I did the thing. So that's where it started. And then I, uh, graduated early, went to college, uh, went to dive school, uh, police dive school, and then was, uh, a dive master for a recreational dive company for a little bit. And I was like, if I keep this, I was like, if I, what's up? Was this after you got out? No, way before. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. And then, okay. and then I was like, if I keep this up, I am going to be a beach bum. Like that's what's going to happen. Cause I love diving. I love the beach. This is, this is amazing. Uh, and, and there was that sense of if I don't do this now, I'm never going to do it and I'll regret it for yeah. the rest of my life. So I, uh, I went to this little recruiting station in a strip mall in Baraboo, Wisconsin, and once again, no, no intelligence on what happens with the recruiting side of things or how the military works. 
And I was like, <laughs> they're all in one stop. It was like the, the Air Force, the Army, the Marine Corps, the Navy. And I was like, I'm going to get them all. It was, it was fantastic. So, so I went down the list. I'm going to do a tour of each. I'm going to do a tour of each. I did. So I went down the, went down the entire strip mall, walked in one, talked to him for a bit, walked in the other, talked to him for a bit. And long story short, the Marine Corps was the only one that was like, Hey man, we're not going to try to sell you on anything. You're put together. You have college. You know what you want to do for the most part. But if you want to be a part of something special, we got you, boo, but you got to want it. And I was like, Ah, uh, you got me. <laughs> so, so I went home and I presented all of this to my parents uh, because, you know, that's the way I roll. All right. Air Force does this and Navy does this and Marine Corps does this the whole time knowing I was going to join the Marine Corps the whole time. Yeah. And uh, yeah. by the end of it, my parents looked at me and they said, we trust you make make the right choice for you. So from then on, it was trying to figure out what I wanted to do in the Marine Corps and make it happen. My uh, my recruiter. I, I made it like a matrix of all the four services and like a 10 point system. Like I analyzed <laughs> the crap out of it. And, uh, and he, he was like, can I, like I showed him my paperwork. I was up late at night thinking about like, like, you know, I had, I had like categories, like who would I want next to me in a foxhole? Like, you know what I mean? Like yeah. I'm like 18 years old thinking this stuff. And, uh, Iraq hasn't even kicked off yet. It was kicked off when I was in, in, in the delayed entry program. But, uh, he saw this paper and he's like, can I keep this? <laughs> like, I, I want this. And, he still has it to this day. And, and of course, everything was like a 10 on the Marine Corps side. I feel like uh, I feel like had I done the graph and chart and cost and benefits and all of that, uh, I may have been swayed even <laughs> slightly away from the Marine Corps. But uh, yeah, it's a passionate decision. You just do it. Right. Um, OK, so how long were you in? I know you got out in 2012. <clears throat> I did. Yeah, I was in for five years total, um, just barely over five years. OK, Um while you were, while you were in, uh, give me either a best friend or your greatest mentor. Hmm. So I did this thing where I worked with a lot of teams all over the Marine Corps, especially once I got into the mix of things. As soon as I was through a school, joined special projects, I would integrate with a team and deploy and, and rinse and repeat over and over and over and over. So, uh, operations never stopped. What, what was, what was your MOS? What'd you 2621, do? intelligence, ground warfare. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I thought so too at the time. <laughs> no, it turned out to be an amazing thing that I didn't really? even know existed, but it was fantastic. It was a fantastic career. But because of that, I got, I got to be exposed to a lot of different leadership styles in a lot of different services, uh, mostly, mostly the special forces community, but uh, some conventional forces as well. And it was, it was just such a mixing bowl. I got such a unique experience in the Marine Corps. But I'm going to say that um, <laughs> I'm going to say that my first mentor that really impacted me in the Marine Corps was when I was I had just gotten done with a school and I thought I was hot. I was I was great. I had everything put together and uh, showed up to my a school and had no idea what I was doing there. I showed up to Fort Meade, Maryland. And for everything I knew, that was where analysts go. Like people sit behind desks and I was like, that's not why I joined the Marine Corps. This is messed up. Uh, so I requested mast uh, within days oh, okay. of arriving at my duty station. And I, I have since found out that's a great way to ingratiate yourself with your leadership. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it turned out to be fantastic, but it meant I had to they carry our 260 name. pound commanding officer, Major Reed, up and down the obstacle course because that's how we train Marines. 
So <laughs> that was a great experience. But um, my platoon commander at the time was uh, Gunny Scoggins. And he, he made that first initial major impact in my career. And it was just with investment. Like he would still give you your, your rasher of what you, what you earned anytime you messed yeah. up. But he would explain. He would take a moment to pull you aside and mentor you and teach you. And that, that little amount of effort, that emphasis on I'm going to invest in you because you matter, suddenly tables turned and I was like, all right, this isn't, this isn't me having to obey, me having to listen to your mentorship. I want to. I want to make you proud. What you're saying makes sense because you're giving me a reason. And uh, I've, I've kind of mirrored that leadership style as much as I can in my life, trying to, trying to give people the reason behind what I'm saying. Uh, so why did you get it, decide to get out in 2012? I didn't really. Um, <laughs> okay. I did it okay. all the wrong way, honestly. Um, I took uh, a few TBIs during my service, and gotcha. um, I was told that if I stayed in, I was going to go strategic and not tactical. And I was not about that. That hurt my feelings yeah, in a big way. Uh, pride is a, is a huge thing, turns out. And uh, at the time, hearing you're not good enough, you're, you're too broken. Obviously, this is what I was hearing in my head. Uh, you can't do what you want to do anymore. It broke me. And I was like, I, I, can't, I can't be a part of the Marine Corps if it's not on my terms. Like, I want to do what, what I love to do. I want to do what I'm passionate about. I'm not going to just sit behind a desk for the rest of my career. So rather than waiting for medical retirement or doing it the right way, I was like, I'm out of here and uh, charged off into the horizon. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I had to prove something to myself after that. It was, I need to prove to the Marine Corps and everyone around me that I'm still operational. So that's when I went, uh, went back as a civilian. You went back and you went to contracting? Mm -hmm. Got you. Um, how did that work out? How did, uh, uh, I mean, it it's a much different experience. Very, yeah. very different. Um, with operational side of contracting, <clears throat> Once you're a part of an organization, a bigger thing, it's different. But when you're a part of a civilian operational contractor side of, of that, that whole deal, you don't have that same camaraderie. You don't have the same connection. You haven't been really? through the same training. Uh, you can, but it's, it's tough to develop it because in a lot of cases, you don't get integrated into a team and stick with it. You're, you're a standalone capability and they will plug you in wherever they can use you. So, so it's really, it's really tough to feel that security in your team. Um, and even, even the fact that in my Marine Corps career, I was plugged into a lot of different units. We had, we had some sort of a semblance of, of workup, even if it was a few days. And I felt personally like, like we had a specific goal. I knew why I was out there. I knew why I was, why I was invested. And for a lot of that early uh, contractor career, before I went back into the, the intelligence side of things, I felt like uh, I, I was just there to earn money. I, I felt like a mercenary. And uh, those, uh, I was like, I don't, I don't want to die for this guy. I don't even know this guy. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Very good. Very good. Um, okay. So uh, two very unique uh, 
places in life that you two came from, how did you both find your way? And we'll go with Cindy and then we'll go Nate. How did you both find your way to Irreverent Warriors and to what you're doing now? I had heard about Irreverent Warriors uh, back in 2015. And at the time, my son was stationed at Fort Lewis, Washington, and Stephanie was at Fort Stewart in Georgia. And I just thought it would be a great idea. In January, there was a hike in Houston, and um, I live in the Austin area. So I just called the kids and said, let's do this. You know, I'm not sure what it is, but it sounds like a good thing. So I brought the two kids in and we did our first hike and uh, we found our community. It was an amazing day. And just the energy of having the two kids together and um, and, and me being there and we just were, there were so many other people just like us. And so at the end of the day, Stephanie, my daughter, said, uh, we need to do a hike out in Savannah where she was stationed. And I'm like, yeah, no, that's a lot of work. And she's like, yeah, we can do it. And so we did. We did our first hike. And then it was a great hike. And so people were asking me to help them along the East Coastline. And so I started helping with hikes. And then somehow Donnie O'Malley found out what I was doing out there and asked me to come on and take over the hikes nationally for a couple of years. And you've been doing it ever since. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Um, how about you, Nate? <laughs> so, uh, the way it happened for me, one of my friends locally in Fayetteville, North Carolina, uh, said they were trying to get one of the hikes up and going in town and looking at the, the externals of the event, I was like, all right, uh, we're doing a ruck March in tiny shorts. Sounds great. I'm in. I had nothing about the mission. Absolutely nothing. I'd never heard of Irreverent Warriors. I didn't know who Donnie O'Malley was or Vet TV. I was just, I was just yeah. rolling. I was like, that sounds great. I'd been a part of a lot of, I'm sorry. Donnie's the one that started this nonprofit, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Beginning. Gotcha. Gotcha. Very good. <laughs> so, so jumping into that, I, I just had no idea really what I was in for. Uh, but I'd been a part of a lot of nonprofit efforts and, the the suicide issue, uh, mental health, really in general for veterans and military was it weighed very heavily on me. I lost a lot of guys while I was in, and a lot of guys when I was out, and just just to their own mental health, they they lost that battle over and over and over. And uh, I I needed to be a part of trying to find a solution. Everything I was a part of up until Irreverent Warriors, it it felt like I was doing something. I was making awareness happen, or I was raising funds or something. So, so I was very invested in that fight. Enter Irreverent Warriors. I was like, all right, that sounds like a cool event. And <laughs> I, I helped coordinate. <laughs> Not knowing that it was part of a veterans com- to combat veteran suicide or anything. I, I knew I knew the basic mission of it, but I, I didn't okay. really connect the two. I was like, it, it's another one of the marches. It's another one of, you know, whatever. We're, we're raising awareness. It's it's fine. Uh, my my dumb Marine Corps brain was like, hey, we're going to ruck on a Saturday. This sounds great. <laughs> and I'm going to make everyone else suffer. <laughs> so I, I rolled out, a, you know, a 14.7 mile hike that was, you know, intended to be challenging. And we had, we had a blast. And over the course of that event, it was actually my, my second hike that I attended was the one that I helped coordinate. And over the course of that event, I just saw the unconventional therapy side happen. People were having fun. It was a great time. I was, I was having a blast, but I was, I was seeing people that didn't know each other 20 steps back, pour their souls out to each other. 
it was all the barriers were down in a way that I hadn't seen before. People, people would push you toward uh, conventional therapy or clinical therapy. Those are so important, but there needs to be another side of that therapy. There needs to be that brotherhood, that camaraderie you had in the military. And I was seeing that happen in this dumb event that I was helping to coordinate. And it, it sucked me in. And I, I kept doing next event and next event and just kind of rolled into a leadership role. I would say, <clears throat> excuse me, by that fall. <clears throat> no problem. No worries. All the frogs and stuff. Luckily, you can edit this. <laughs> Absolutely. He's like, I I'm won't, so though. I'm still keeping it in. <laughs> but, but yeah, over, over the course of that event, just watching that happen. You know, people have that conventional therapy where they need it, but they didn't have what I was seeing happen out there. They didn't have that that camaraderie, that brotherhood that they had missed. And in my opinion, that is the life-saving power of irreverent warriors is having veterans come together. We don't have to show any magic. Our, our, our magic is just getting them together. And then they save each other's lives just by being there for each other. And I was watching that happen on the streets. And uh, so I was sucked in, just kind of rolled into leadership, started helping to coordinate hikes without knowing it. It was very tricky. And then uh, <laughs> by the end of that year, uh, Cindy and Cindy had contacted me and she said, hey, you're doing all this stuff. I would like you to roll into a leadership position. And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm doing that already. It's fine. And I knew what she was asking. But at the time, I was uh, really invested in my contracting career and overtasked. So I was like, I can't do it. I, I really can't. Yeah. So um, she kept asking. <laughs> right about, I think, December, <clears throat> shortly after she took over as president, she asked, she asked one more time. And I, I had, I'd been invested enough to see the fact that I, the reverend warriors didn't need me in the wings. They didn't need me in the background. Like I needed to just stand up and be a leader or not. Like that was where I could make my biggest impact was just getting involved. So, so I said, yes, finally. And then, um, turned out that I helped coordinate, uh, helped coordinate the first conference, national conference we had. And it's just grown so professionally since. Now, Reverend Warriors, they put on Silky Hike. Let's just, just give a broad overview of what, what we're talking about. Uh, Reverend Warriors puts on uh, Silky Hikes in order to give uh, what, to you. What's, what's the mission again? I, if you've been on a, if you've been on a hike, you, you know it. Cause everyone chants it over and over. It's, it's a good reminder, man. You have to tell people the same thing over and over and over. Eventually it sticks sometimes, but it's uh, right, go ahead and say it. bringing veterans together with humor and camaraderie to improve mental health and prevent veteran suicide. That's our mission statement. Outstanding. Uh, Cindy, in your bio, you said that these hikes were life changing for you, your daughter and your son. Uh, Nate's kind of alluded to it as well. In what way has it been life-changing? <clears throat> well, primarily I saw the difference in my kids. Um, you know, I, I wasn't a, a combat vet. I was a peacetime vet a, a long, long time ago. And, uh, but what I saw my kids go through um, and watching the, uh, the devastation after their dad died and then both of them serving when we got there that day, I, I saw both of a side of both of them that I hadn't seen. The, the lights had gone out years ago. And while they were serving and I loved what they were doing in the military, they, they're just I just never saw that light. And uh, in that day, I saw it. It was sparked. And um, and the two of them coming together 
and just watching the dynamics, I, I knew that we were going to be okay. I knew we were going to be okay. We weren't alone. They each had connected with so many other people that day, as well as connecting back with each other. Um, I knew that I wasn't afraid of losing them at that point, like I had been the previous few years. So it, it changed and saved our lives. Um, a veteran suicide is always a huge topic here at VA as always. Right. Uh, we always, we all know about the 22 a day, 21 a day. We also have a whole podcast on, on the research to, to battle veteran suicide. I don't know if you know, either one of you know that it's the Myrick short takes on suicide prevention prevention. Have you heard of that podcast? I have not. Check that out when you get a chance. It's all about the research to prevent veteran suicide. And they have a lot of really deep dives in, into like, you know, some of the factors that, that lead into to veteran suicide and how to fight them. Uh, it's a topic that we broached here on Born the Battle a couple of times, uh, both with stories of either veterans uh, coming close to committing the act or, or veterans looking to help in the fight. Uh, episode, I think, 220, 219, something like that. We had Chad Robichaud, Bellator, uh, Strike Force, MMA fighter, world champion with Legacy FC. Uh, when he talked about winning a Strike Force at the Toyota Center in front of 10,000 people, going home that night that he was deciding that was the night he was going to, he was, he, that was the night he decided he was going to take his life. Eventually he didn't do it, but honestly, really good episode about uh veteran suicide and how to overcome it. Uh, then there's, I think episode 212, 213, something around there. Uh, Marine, these are both the Marine veterans, by the way, Marine veteran, Aaron Quinones, uh, who again was homeless before and after the Marine Corps, uh, almost committed suicide. And now he's developed an app that, um, uh, it's going through Operation Pop Smoke. I don't know if you've heard it. It's going through some trials so it can be actually prescribed for people with suicidal ideations, an actual app on your phone. Uh, it's like a, a close-knit buddy app. Uh, if you get a chance, uh, take a listen to both of those. Um, I say all that to say this. You're both very involved in group think tanks and gatherings about how to help prevent veteran suicide. You have a whole, you're running a whole nonprofit that's kind of based off preventing veteran suicide. Have there been good programs with NVA that you've seen in this effort? And what is the community asking for that maybe isn't there yet NVA? Sure. So um, I'll take a whack at this one first. <laughs> so my experience, <clears throat> I think, is probably the best way to tackle this question. So my experience with the VA, uh, when I, I'm, I'm, I tend to be a very guarded person. Uh, what I go through, I deal with. I'll joke about it. I'll have fun with my my very close buddies. I will talk about it. That's that's about it. So my experience um, transitioning from the Marine Corps into the civilian world and dealing with the the VA system, it was very very difficult to integrate into into that VA system and communicate with people the same way I would communicate with my buddies. Sure. It was difficult to break down that wall. I, I understood the value in, in what they were providing, but it was really, really tough to make that connection. Same connection I did with my brothers sitting around the fire in Afghanistan, you know, just, Oh, that terrible thing happened today. Yeah. yeah make a dumb yeah. joke and roll on. <laughs> I think that's fair. I think that's fair for any kind of hospital situation, I agree. you know, walking into a, you know, yeah, it's, it's not, it's not natural almost for a lot of us. And, and we tend to be very abrasive. Like, uh, one of the things that, that we rely on as an organization, we really, we're, we're going to hold to for, for the 
for the rest of the time that I'm involved in this organization is bringing veterans together means something. It's not about the Reverend Warriors brand. It's not about, you know, oh, we're, we're better than any other organization. It's, it's not. We are a very, very small part of the solution to all of these health issues. Um, we, we are part of the puzzle. We need the rest of the veteran community. We need the VA. We need everyone to do their part of their job or, or what we're doing is useless. We, we are introducing veterans back to a network that is going to change their lives, that is going to save their lives. We're giving the, pe- the people that attend our hikes a reason to care, a reason to go on, a purpose, a reason to live. But if they don't have those resources afterwards, all of that is useless. Um, we, we can't provide clinical therapy. We cannot, we're not a pharmacy. Like we cannot help them uh, take that edge off what they're dealing with psychologically. Uh, what we can do is give them a reason to care. We can reintegrate them into a network that, that will care, that will pluck them up when they're having a bad moment. Are you seeing anything within the VA that is, that does help in this effort or, or is there anything in the community? Is there anything that the community is asking for from the VA that is, that maybe needs to, to be provided a little bit more? Yeah. On, on this, um, I think it was our Memphis hike. Um, a part of our route took us right by the VA and the director of the VA actually came out and spoke to us. They, they'd arranged that ahead of time. He had popsicles for us. It was really cool. It was a hot day. Uh, he had popsicles and, um, normally about that point in the hike, people are, are pretty rowdy, ready to finish in the day. But when he came out, everyone was quiet. People paid attention. It was, it was crazy. But the, the impact that he had, because the VA, like, is this big um, entity that people are either frustrated with or in awe of, but it's, it's bigger than them. And so when this guy came out and it's a big ship with a tiny rudder. (laughs) (laughs) Well, when that guy came out as the director of that facility, everyone listened and, um, and the information he shared, they, they actually grasped, which you could have been handed them pamphlets for years. You could have had all kinds of other, um, resources out there for them. But when this man, the head of this VA came out, took the time to speak to these guys at their level and connected with them emotionally, that was, that was powerful, very powerful, and probably did more for the VA that day with everyone in that group than anything that had been done prior to that. Yeah. The, the, the human connection. Exactly. There, that's, being that, part of it. that's that barrier I felt trying to, trying to enter that. It, it was difficult. There was no interpersonal connection. There was, there was no automatic connection for, you know, from a similar service. And I've had, I've had some amazing people I've worked with in the VA and the people are actually what make the magic happen. And it sounds like a really dumb cliche thing to say, but it's true. The VA as a construct, as, as a a system is like I said, it, it comes almost as abrasive to, to a lot of our veterans. They're like, Oh, the VA, screw the VA. And, uh, a lot of times we're the ones that are like, Hey man, have you ever submitted a claim? Cause that would probably <laughs> help. Like, you know, they're really good at some stuff. They will help. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. but I think uh, Cindy nailed it on the head. I think that that direct personal connection would change, change the entire system. 
So just that director being aware of the hike and coming out and just being involved in it and just showing that, Hey, we support what you guys are trying to do. Oh, absolutely. The number we're supporting, of- we're supporting the community in this way, just being aware of it. Um, probably did the world for the, for that Memphis VA that, that day of bringing awareness to what they have to offer. That's good. That's good. It's a really good feedback. And I, I, I yeah. can't wait till this airs. So everyone else, can, everyone else can hear that. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, and I've shared my, and I, and I, I'd like to say, you know, I've shared my story about the VA on this podcast before I'm a VA employee, but I, I walked away from the VA for like four years. You know, I gave him, I gave my own two middle fingers and walked away <laughs> after I had a terrible service the first time. And it's amazing how one person can, can ruin the reputation of an organization that's 400,000 people employee yeah. based, you know? Uh, and it's, again, it's, it's, it's just like, uh, the Marine Corps, it's just like the army. It's just like any other service. It's a, it's a huge ship. Tiny, it's just like DOD. It's a huge ship, tiny rudder, hard to turn sometimes like any other fortune 500, uh, fortune 500 company. But I will say all that to say this, I think from the time that I walked away in 2014 to the time of 2021, I have seen a difference personally. And I think part of it's probably because I'm the, I'm employee there as well, but, um, there's something to be said. So what you're saying is, Hey, uh, that that veteran that director of the of the VA Medical Center in Memphis came out and, and took part in what you guys were doing, showed his face, showed that he was aware of what you guys were doing and, and supported it. Yeah. So that's really good to hear. The best the best way for me to put it, and Cindy's probably really sick of hearing this quote, because it's kind of one of my mantras, but uh, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. That's something I've embraced with mm. with my life. Uh, no matter what position I was in, what leadership position I was in. I wanted to make sure the person that I was trying to guide or mentor or lead understood that I was invested in them personally, not, yeah. you know, I need to take care of whatever you're, you're bringing on onto my plate. It was, I want to help you out. And for me, that's, that's that barrier that needs to be torn down. Uh, we, we need our guys to get that interpersonal connection that, Hey man, we're here for you. I am here for you. Not, VA will help you because that's our job. And, uh, like it's tough for veterans to ask for help. Like we're terrible at it, terrible at it. And honestly, the VA could be a perfect system. And me knowing my friends, my veteran friends, we would still crap all over it for sure. (laughs) If it was perfect, we'd probably crap on it harder. Uh, that's just what we do. But that understanding yeah, like from from the other side of being like, all right, guys, all right, dummies, <laughs> we love you. And, we, we're invested yeah. in you. This is for you. And most of us, uh, you know, a vast majority of the VA are veterans. It's like, it's like, yeah, yeah we, we get it. We're there. We're there with you. You mm-hmm. know, we're trying to figure this out with you. you know? <laughs> so the reason I took the job is like, that's what I love about this podcast is that. You know, every five episodes we do what's called the benefits breakdown. I go into an office or a program or a benefit within the VA and I shake them and I go, well, what do you do? How do you help veterans and how can they be eligible for your services? Awesome. Um, you know, so that's, that's one of the things I love doing about this job is that I get to, whatever I get to learn, whatever I learn from the VA, I get to bring out to everyone else. So one thing I do know that the VA probably couldn't pull off and, and uh, maybe they could if, if the right person was, was there. Uh, but it's what you all do, your bread and butter, these, these silky hikes uh, I know from my, from my experience in the DC hike, uh, before the pandemic, you guys catch the attention of a lot of Marines on these hikes. We, we, we do. Uh, I would say we're, we're much more diverse as far as services concerned recently than we used to be, but yeah. let's think about it. Uh, if you were to, to look at all the services as a whole and then present them an option of, 
hey, guys, um, Saturday, we can throw on a ruck and silkies and ruck around town a lot of times. Or you can do whatever. Uh, make a choice. The majority of the time, the Marines are going to be the ones that are like, yeah, let's do it. Um, but it's it's been great. I would say when when I started becoming a part of the Reverend Warriors organization, my first few hikes, I, I kind of I kind of felt that even then it wasn't, hey, this is a Marine Corps effort. It was it was an us thing. Right. But I think just because of how it started with Donnie and his connection to the Marine Corps and his buddies and how that grew. Yeah. It was it had a Marine Corps flavor to it. And yeah. Yeah. now, honestly, I'll show up to a hike and I don't know who I'm talking to. I don't I, I have no yeah. idea what service they're from. Uh, it's just people are starting to realize it's not it's not about the ruck. It's not about the the hike or the silkies. There's something bigger happening here. Yeah, no, it's the camaraderie that happens before, during, and after the hikes. You see it even afterwards. You know, people, guys get together. Hey, let's all go out. And I think the only time I ever knew, really knew, uh, what service a person was on, on these silky hikes was this guy with a huge navy trident, <laughs> a huge navy trident and a cape. Mark. And I was like, Mark. Hey, okay, you, you know his name. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Yeah, I was like, okay, that guy's navy. I could figure that out. Um, uh, I think he might have so been wearing uh, a cape and a singlet as well at the time. Yes. Yes. It was amazing. It was amazing. And it stood out and I liked it. I was all about it. I was there. For it. It. Um, the other thing too about, yeah, it's, we're Marine heavy for sure. But um, I think the other thing that's real attractive and it may because be because we're so Marine Corps heavy um, is that we aren't that, that pretty polished look that a lot of the other organizations are, you know, we're not out there. Um, with our families and we're not out there in our, um, you know, Nike outfits or whatever we're out there and we're broken and raw. I mean, we're, we are as real as it gets. And that is really attractive. We're not for everybody. We understand that there's a lot of people just feel like they need to be part of that pretty and polished crowd. But for those that aren't, we we're their family. We're home. They're comfortable. Yeah. Oh, trust me. It stands out when it's a, when it's a flack and, and nothing but a flack and silkies <laughs> and a trident. Um, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. Um, so over 250 hikes within the past five years, 70 hikes within last year alone, which is very ambitious, uh, might I add. Uh, Nate, you're the COO. Uh, what are the logistics like to pull that off? And how is that organized? Uh, is it organized? It's, it's, <laughs> it's something that we, we are beginning. We are beginning to uh, professionalize on a whole new level. Uh, over the last three years, we've come leaps and bounds from where we were. Uh, we were uh, honestly a grassroots movement just a few years ago. And the amount of professionalism that has, has come on has been amazing. It's been astounding. And, and the fact that, um, I mean, I, we, we make no dollars, really. <laughs> we really don't. The, the salary isn't what it's about. And the majority of our organization doesn't make a dime. The fact that they're just invested in the mission and making it happen is fantastic. And, and honestly, that's what's required. Our job. So the money, the money that gets donated, most of it is back into these hikes. It does. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're obviously you're up to 70 in one year, you know, exactly. Like you guys just find another hike. Yeah. Yep. What, I mean, what are the logistics like though? Like how does one set up a hike? So, 
<laughs> in order to explain the entire hike like planning structure, we would have to dive into an entire spreadsheet um, of, of timetables and specific tasks and POCs. It's roughly 60 to 75 steps long. Everything from oh, wow. um, creating a city permit, um, getting insurance, uh, developing that rapport with your local community, developing a hike route, then establishing a connection with the stops, uh, finding a team of, of volunteers that will also help you plan the event from social media, volunteers, uh, public relations. It takes an entire team to make these things happen. And it, it's, it's so involved down to how many coolers do we have? Do we have enough water? Uh, do we yeah. have enough bathrooms on the route? Like, dude, it's, it's a, it's a ridiculous process. And <clears throat> the fact that people are doing it just out, out of their care and passion for the organization is phenomenal. We're talking about, um, a 65 page SOP that we wrote a couple of years ago that we keep evolving, but just so much more goes into it than meets the eye. People look at the event and they're like, Oh yeah, neat. You just threw up a Facebook flag and people showed up, huh? <laughs> nah, dude, this no. has been a nine month process to plan this hike effectively. Our veterans like us yeah. attending these hikes, we have to have everything planned for because they will not. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, uh, I, I noticed it in the bathroom, you know, that even with the bathroom breaks is like you guys had coordinated places where you guys say like, all right, cool. This is our bathroom break, blah, blah, blah. I was like, oh man, this isn't just like this. Like you said, this isn't just a Facebook show up type of thing. You guys actually plan this out. And, um, you talk about developing a relationship with, with communities to make this happen, to make sure that routes are unimpeded. Um, how did, how did you go about doing the stuff like that? How, developing a relationship with like a local community? So our, our mission is so very compelling. It's, it's absolutely amazing. Like if we have, if we have our, our volunteers actually make that interpersonal connection, that face-to-face -face connection and share our mission and what it's accomplishing, it's, it's so, so easy to get support. Um, we live in an amazing country and, and they really do back their veterans and military for the most part. And it's, it's a fantastic thing to be a part of on, on the receiving side. One of the things we've been... Is it, is it with like uh, local elected officials through the Chamber of Commerce? How do you guys go about doing stuff like that? Go ahead, Mama. Yeah, it's, it's different in every city, but um, there, there's two there's two key approaches. One is if, I, if you, you go through the city event process and the special event process and um, connect that way. Uh, if you have connections with law enforcement, that's another really great avenue because law enforcement will get you into the right places within the city to get that permitting process started. And so once you get, because we, we aren't conventional, we don't fall under any normal category. We're not a parade. We are a moving element, but we're not a parade. Um, yeah. we're, not, we're not a festival, but we have many festivals along the way. So it's not a protest, <laughs> not a protest. Um, no, but we have been known to, to peacefully assemble. <laughs> we do peacefully assemble. We do not protest. Um, Outstanding. Oh, yes. we, we, so it's different. So it's different with every, it with every city. Every the city one thing we require is like you said, we're not a protest. We're one thing we require is that our coordinators pass all of the local official checks. They, if they need a permit, they have to get a permit. 
If they can't get a permit and they require one legally, you're not doing a hike there, bud. Like that's just the way it is. Um, so, so all, so all that is done through the volunteers at the local level at each local level. I know, well, I know you got an enthusiastic Marine out here in DC, uh, Catalina. Um, she, her and I served together. Uh, she was uh, as a civilian Marine. I was, a, I was a Marine. Uh, you got an enthusiastic one there for sure. All right. So, um, you got so you had 70 hikes last year, 250 total um, in the past five years. Where can people find the schedule of like where hikes are when in what city? Yeah. So our, our goal is to get hikes close to the people, you know, so they don't have to travel across the country to get to them. If you go to www.irreverentwarriors.com, we have a full event list. Just click on one of the hike cities and it'll take you to Eventbrite so you can register. Where, where have you had hikes before? Give me like uh, top five cities. I know you've had Jacksonville. I know you've had Camp Pendleton. Um, do you have them in bigger cities as well? We do. And in- uh, New York City, D.C., Baltimore. Um, we talked about Oceanside, California, Dallas, Memphis, Tennessee, uh, Nashville, oh. Savannah. It, it goes on and on. So they're all over the country? All over. We just had our first one in Jack's Beach a few weeks ago, uh, Jacksonville, Florida. That was amazing. Okay. They don't disappoint. Yeah, we also just had a hike in Hawaii. It's the first year in Hawaii. And coming up at the end of June, we have a hike in Puerto Rico. And we're uh, going to London. We're going to London? Yeah. Where do you find active duty guys? Or is it active duty, veterans? Yeah, there are a bunch of active duty and veterans. But also our, our mission is going international. People are realizing it's not just about American veterans here. Uh, and England has its has its own set of mental health difficulties. So it's a lot of locals too. So like local veterans from that country. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, hey, there's a lot of expats in Philippines. Hey, I don't know how many Marines I want to bring to the Philippines, but <laughs> you are right. <laughs> <laughs> outstanding outstanding uh, can can each can each of you tell me one thing uh that you learned either in the military or from the military community that carry with that you carry with you today well he's just softballing him now that's not deep at all oh yeah <laughs> tell me one amazing thing the military did um <laughs> pick one pick one no no for me um i mean it, it would be so easy the easy button for me would be it, it gave me uh, an opportunity to impact the world on a level that I did not anticipate. When I joined the Marine Corps, I was thinking pretty small level. I was thinking, I'm going to do my job and it's going to be awesome. I didn't think about second and third level impacts. Getting into the intelligence, especially you know, the tactical intelligence community, seeing the impacts of my operations was ridiculous. I, I loved that aspect of it. So I could, the easy button would be, it gave me a career. And it, it allowed me to be a part of, of the world on a bigger scale than I ever imagined. I would say the thing that stands out even more than that for me is uh, the experience aspect of it. Not, not career-wise, not profession-wise. I, I got to experience life on such, such a gritty, ridiculous, granular level. So many people enter life and they, they go about their career and everything is structured. Everything is beautiful. They have a process. I, I eat breakfast, three meals a day, go to the gym once, five, you know, eight to five work hours and I'm good to go. And 
I, I'm not going to say that I couldn't have been in that loop or that that's not someone's definition of happiness. But for me, experiencing being up for 48 hours straight, eating nothing and being in the most miserable circumstances on the other end of the planet, that gives you a perspective on life that I wouldn't have gotten anywhere else. That, that brotherhood and camaraderie that we were talking about, that's a feeling I could not have found in the civilian community. Couldn't have, never would have come across it. And, uh, you know, I could go on and on, but I would say that overall experience of taking life to the next level, understanding the fragility of life uh, for myself, the, the number of times I almost died, the number of people that I saw die that I cared about. Like, I don't, I don't know how people commit suicide personally. I, I understand, I understand they're struggling and it's, and it's in the moment. It's, it's just what they feel needs to happen. But for me, seeing so, so many people go of, of their own hand of someone else's seeing the fragility of life. I don't understand how, how you could let go of that gift. Be like, Oh, I, I get to go on. I can, I can make an impact. I can change lives. Nah, screw that. I, I just, it blows my mind. And I, I don't feel like I would feel the same way as I do about life if I hadn't joined the military. It's deep, man. It is deep. How am I going to follow that? Sim is going to be like discipline. Way. I learned discipline. <laughs> yep. I learned how to organize my shirts. There you go. Uh, Cindy, one thing that you learned in the military that you, that you carry with you today. Yeah. Well, for me, um, I went in enlisted and then, um, after a couple of years, I went to the state OCS program and I learned from my dad. And I learned from that, that, um, having been enlisted prior to, and then becoming an officer, um, I knew as an officer how to take care of my troops. Um, so when I started a family, I knew as a mom, I needed to take care of my family. Start a disorganization. I'm Mama Bear. I take care of this family. So uh, I put the troops before self. And you can ask Nate and any of the other leadership. Uh, I will go to bat for the for any hiker that's out there. And uh, and I make sure that at every hike is part of that 65 page SOP. The troops are fed. The troops are comfortable. The troops have um, options if there's a if there's a problem somewhere. We take care of our element. We take care of our troops. We take care of our own. And, um, so I will, yeah, I learned having served under some crappy leaders, how important leadership really is. <laughs> you, uh, you take care of your troops. The mission takes care of itself. That's what I've learned. Absolutely. Um, is there a veteran, and this is for both of you as well. Uh, is there a veteran nonprofit or a veteran in the military community that you've worked with or you've had an experience with whom you like to mention other than a reverend warriors? Well, I, um, um, the Blue Star Mothers of America and Gold Star Mothers of America, they're a DOD authorized veteran service organization. Um, yeah. I founded the Central Texas chapter, and I can tell you that when you bring military parents in, uh, especially their mothers, um, well, I, I will also say that these mothers prepared me for to work with these irreverent warriors. The warriors are far easier to deal with than their mothers. I'll tell you that. Any day of the Love week you know, with their moms, man. Uh, but in every every state has um, Blue Star Mother chapters, and so 
if you are a mother of a service member, um, even if they've gotten out, because we realize now that a lot of the struggles we have are after our children are out of the service, um, the reintegration or whatever. So our chapters are not just for women who have children serving, but those who have children that have honorably served in the past as well. So I would encourage people, encourage your mom, if you're listening to this, if you have a mom, um, get her involved in a Blue Star Mother chapter uh, that will roll right into the Gold Star Mother service work that we do because their Blue Star turns to gold. And, um, you know, yeah. but for the grace of God, it's-, it's Many times it, it does. Yeah. yeah. You never know. It could be our blue could turn to gold in a second. You never know. But every state has multiple chapters and um, they're vital. Amazing organization. I don't have a specific one. I was I was that entire time Cindy was talking. I was listening, but I was also just kind of racking my brain like, ah, what about this person and this person and that organization and that organization? And one of the things that is so amazing about being a part of Irreverent Warriors is the fact that we get to facilitate connection. We, we get to help that network occur. So I can't name one. Um, but being a part of our organization, seeing the number of VSOs and not just, not just VSOs, not necessarily nonprofits, people, entities, companies that are just purely invested in turning the trends that we're dealing with around is it's mind boggling. We have people that are coming, coming to us with startup businesses, veterans got out and they're just trying to, to start their business and they're, Hey man, can, can I donate a portion of my proceeds to irreverent warriors? I love what you guys are doing. I'm like, dude, you're, you're selling almost nothing. You can't even make a living on what you're doing. And, and you're donating what you're doing to our mission that it's something that is so ridiculously powerful being a part of the veteran community. You understand there is an unhealthy culture that exists where people are worried about brand. They're, they're worried about fighting over the veteran market or, you know, I, I, I'm selling my shirts to these people. Um, it's, it's there, it exists, but being a part of, of, our organization, the fact that we don't really deal with that, we, we don't deal with those companies, those entities. We have organizations and businesses that are just invested in veteran mental health on a different level. And at, at times, talking about those individuals, they're compromising their own just to make sure that hundreds of others have the opportunity to connect to a, to a healthy network. When you see that, uh, what does it do? I mean, what's your initial reaction when you see something like that? Oh, it boggles my mind. Like, it was what I was saying to Cindy uh, way back when we started, when I was like, I, I will help as much as I can. However, I have this career that pays really well. Um, I was making, you know, logic decisions. And, and that, that was a great, great thing for my bank account. Um, but, but it didn't fuel my soul. This, no. uh, taking that paycheck and decreasing it by 99%, uh, <laughs> <laughs> maybe doesn't make sense with the bank account, but, but this is my passion. This fuels my soul. And yet still I see that passion in other people. I see other people that work 60 hours in a week. They're dog tired and they jump in their car, load their ruck up. They've been to 70 hikes. 
They don't need that yeah. hike. They have that connection. They have the network and they get done with their work day, throw their ruck in their car and drive eight hours to a hike, show up in the wee hours of the morning to help people set up for the event and ruck the entire day. Not like, oh, I'm here and I'm suffering. Like lifting people up, pulling them out of their trenches and just being there for them. It boggles my mind because logically I'm like, you're dumb. What are you doing? (laughs) But my heart, my passion, I'm like, yeah, bro, I get it. You feel it. Yeah. You feel it. Cause, cause you know, there's, there's something to be said about, about doing something that's bigger than yourself. And I think that's what, what kind of what you're speaking to. You know, I, I, I was the same way, man. I was, uh, I was at NASCAR before this and yeah, it was a great gig, sports media, cool stuff cars turning left. Um, great to see your work on TV. And 17 yeah, jokes, I mean, just like click, 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 click. Yeah. yeah it's, just, it's just all there. But, it's like I heard him. But, uh, you know, coming back to, 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 I was like, I'm never going back to the federal government. Like that was like, when I left the Marine Corps, I was like, I am so done with the government. I'm so done. And here I am. Why? Because it's that, like what you're saying, doing something bigger than, than, and something for yourself. And I think there's something to be said for that. And I think you're seeing it out on those hikes. Absolutely. Um, you know, it, we've covered a lot of ground. Uh, Cindy, Nate, is there anything that I may have missed or haven't asked that you think is important to share with anybody that's listening or watching this right now? I would say, uh, my, my last statement is kind of piggybacks off what we were just talking about a little bit, but it's the fact that this isn't easy. What, what we're doing is not simple. It's as complicated as it can be, especially an organization like irreverent warriors. Like we're, we're trying to walk a line between professionalism, open, unconventional therapy. And like, it's, it's very, very tough. Not to mention, uh, it takes an emotional toll. When the more you open yourself up to a mission like this, the more you invest in it, the more your emotions are involved, every single loss, every single obstacle, everything you run into takes a toll on you emotionally. Not talking about just the physical toll. Like our organization is volunteer based. These people are, are taxing themselves to the max in many cases just to make the wheels turn on this bus. But then on top of that, you add the emotional strain of opening yourself up to care about people that in some cases don't even care about themselves. It's, it's difficult. This is, this is hard work. And I am just so blessed to work with the amazing, amazing teams and volunteers that we do in this organization. And I'm not saying that because it's obligatory or anything. I'm, I'm absolutely floored by their, their heart and their passion for this mission. For most of us, when you join the military, it's a calling. It's not necessarily a job. And it's because you have a servant's heart and you want to serve. And even after you've served your time, you're you're, you're committed to serve. When you come out, it's one of the other things um, that brings you peace is that you have a servant's heart. So you need to continue to serve. So um, our leadership are amazing. They they sacrifice so much. Again, like Nate said, all under all volunteers. I think one of the things that the only thing we haven't covered today about the hikes is that the hiking element itself is veterans and active duty reservists and guard members only. There's no civilians in the actual element. Uh, it is your safe place. So oh, while yeah. you may feel safe walking with a civilian or, or your spouse or whatever, 
somebody else may not be. And anything that inhibits that safe place, we, we just don't bring it in. Now, we love our civilians. In fact, we need them desperately to help our support element and to be at the stops. But that actual hike element itself, there are no civilians in that element. So it is our safe place. Interesting. I didn't know that. Uh, for anybody that, uh, and, and either one of you can go on this one. Uh, for someone that's listening to this right now, and do you have like a parting shot for them? Anything that, anything you you want to leave them with? I always have parting shots. I mean, come on. <laughs> no, I, would, I would say i would say uh broad strokes uh what cindy was just saying was your support does matter like sure these elements are very very closed for a reason we want to we want to develop cultivate maintain an environment of unconventional therapy we want you to be able to throw your arm over someone's shoulder and just gut your life to them hey man this is all my darkness so that you don't have to hold it in so that you have somebody else in the trench with you. We want that, that environment to be maintained. But like Cindy said, that community support is everything. Having our veterans know somebody cares is the reason why a reverend warrior saves lives. And that doesn't stop at veteran to veteran connection. So if you're listening to this and you're not a veteran, please let them know. I'm not saying thank you for your service. Like they get, they get that enough. Uh, show them, show them whether it's supporting irreverent warriors or some other VSO, encouraging them to, to go get the help that they need. Um, giving them some extra encouragement or support on a dark day. This doesn't stop at the veteran community. It, it will take the entire veteran community to come together. If we're going to reverse the trends of mental health and suicide that are plaguing our veteran military cultures, it's going to take us all like the VA, us, everyone has to come together, but we also need support from our significant others, from our loved ones, from the community. That's something that, that is desperately needed both, both by the veterans and by our organization. So if you're listening to this and you're not a veteran, you're not left out. In many cases, you're the reason why we raised our hand. Why the reason we walked down range, the reason why, it was important enough to throw ourselves into the line of fire um, because we wanted to protect this, what we have, you guys. So, yeah, we need you. We need your support. Very good. Um, and for those that, and most of, most of my listeners are veterans, for those people, what would you say to them? Come on out. <laughs> <laughs> Mama, you're up. No, absolutely. You, you don't have to wear silkies. You don't have to carry weight. You don't have to wear boots. Just show up. So <laughs> one of my early experiences with irreverent warriors, I was trying to convince one of my buddies to go. I knew he was a recluse. And I'm saying that on purpose. Uh, I know it's probably a, 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 an obnoxious way to say somebody was isolating, but uh, he was he was devastating himself with himself. He was, he was yeah. by himself. And I tried, Hey man, let's go to this event together over and over and over. Didn't work. I grabbed him for a dinner with another veteran, just kind of another strategy. And he spent one night hanging out with a couple other veterans and it clicked for him. And he's been invested in not just irreverent warriors, but the veteran community ever since. So what I'm saying is, it, it is intimidating. I get that. 
like, especially if you're showing up by yourself, like no friends, just walking up. But I promise it won't be intimidating for long. You're going to be surrounded by a bunch of people that are just being raw and emotional and care more than anything you could possibly imagine. Just, just do it, man. Whether it's showing up to a silkies hike or, or go getting, going and, and showing up for that first veteran, uh, veterans affairs appointment, whether it's, you know, getting to the gym, just, just do it. Make that, make those healthy steps one at a time. If you need to, no matter how daunting it appears, we need you. Getting out of the military, I was missing this camaraderie. It's frustrating when you try and talk to people that don't understand. I still had the anger, I still had the addictions, but we didn't talk about that. Came to a point where it's like, okay, I really need to talk to somebody about this. Family more or less encouraged me, you know, go, go to the VA. It's okay to go get help. It's okay to talk to people, because it takes true strength to ask for help. Hear veterans' real stories of strength and recovery at maketheconnection.net. I want to thank Cindy and Nate for a great conversation here on Born the Battle. For more information about each of them, go to irreverentwarriors.com forward slash about. This week's Born the Battle Veteran of the Week is from our VA Veteran of the Day program. Every day, our digital media team honors a veteran on all of our social media platforms and with a blog on blogs.va.gov. You can nominate the veteran in your life by sending in a short write-up and about five photos Uh, Don't screenshot photos or take a photo of a photo. Uh, They make a graphic from what you send. But again, send an email with a short write-up and about five good photos to newmedia at va.gov. Beatrice Mary McDonald was born in 1881 in North Bedeck, and I hope I said that right, which is a small town in the Canadian province of Prince Edward Island. McDonald came to the United States to study nursing at New York Training School for Nurses on Blackwell's Island, which is now Roosevelt Island. In 1905, she became a registered nurse and worked in New York City as a surgical assistant. In 1915, McDonald experienced war for the first time when she volunteered for four months with Hospital B, American Ambulance in Julily, France. I hope I said that right too. Then, McDonald returned to New York and resumed her job. When the United States entered World War I in 1917, She enlisted in the Army Nurse Corps. McDonald joined a team of doctors and nurses from New York's Presbyterian Hospital to establish base hospital number two in Etriot, France. And I hope I said that one right. For the next year, McDonald served as a surgical nurse at base hospital number two and at British Casualties Clearance Station number 61, a mobile unit always within a few miles of the front line. On the night of August 17, 1917, McDonald was at the clearance station in Belgium four miles from the front line, when the Germans started an air raid in that area. McDonald continued caring for the wounded until shrapnel hit her right eye, causing instant blindness. Surgical efforts to save her sight failed, and she was later fitted with an artificial eye. But she insisted on staying. According to a Radcliffe Institute for Advanced Study article, McDonald declared, I only started doing my bit. She returned to her base hospital until May of 1918. McDonald then got orders to report to evacuation hospital number two and was promoted to chief nurse. She remained in Baccarat until the armistice. After the war ended, McDonald went to Germany to serve two months with Allied forces, but then returned home and resumed her nursing career in New York. 
McDonald received numerous awards, medals, and accolades for her service from the United States, France, and Great Britain. In addition to her service, McDonald made history as the first woman to receive a Distinguished Service Cross and a Purple Heart. McDonald passed away in September of 1969 in White Plains, New York. Army veteran Beatrice McDonald. We honor her service. That's it for this week's episode. If you yourself would like to nominate your veteran as a future Born the Battle of Veteran of the Week so we can learn their story, you can. Just send an email to podcast at va.gov, include a short write-up, and let us know why you'd like to see him or her as the Born the Battle Veteran of the Week. And if you like this podcast episode, hit the subscribe button. We're on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, pretty much any podcasting app known to phone, computer, tablet, or man. For more stories on veterans and veteran benefits, check out our website, blogs.va.gov, and follow the VA on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, RallyPoint, Pinterest, DEPT Vet Affairs, U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. No matter the social media, you can always find us with that blue check mark. And as always, I'm reminded by people smarter than me to remind you that the Department of Veterans Affairs does not endorse or officially sanction any entities that may be discussed in this podcast, nor any media products or services they may provide. I say that because the song you're hearing now is called Machine Gunner, which is courtesy of the nonprofit Operation Song and was written by Marine veteran Mark Milkilhenny, Nashville songwriter Jason Seaver, and Michael Duncan. Have a great day. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you right here next week. Take care. We gotta get them one way or the other. Machine gun. Firefight bullets fly to night brain. Simplify till we're down another campaign. My desk is a rock where the drug lords cut up millions. My pen is a 7.62 round that'll cut them down in an instant. Russian-made bullet in my bag Raining down lead Punching that clock Get them, boys, I'm laying down Cover machine gunner bullets fly day and night rain Simplify, do or die Another campaign Here we go, lock and load 0331, lug a thousand rounds And I ain't bringing back one We have two hikes Two hikes that are that are Beautiful and we, we go into it knowing they're going to be problematic. Uh, problematic. And those would be the nearest, our largest Marine Corps bases. Um, they have the highest population of junior Marines showing up to these events. And just, they don't make the best life decisions. <laughs> they, they haven't encountered the network of, hey, bro, maybe stop drinking after five. You know, maybe don't get wasted. This, this is about creating a network so that you can remember people afterwards, not so you show up the next day and you're like, what did I do yesterday? Um, so so trying, to, trying to manage that, that immaturity level is interesting. So here's the story. My first hike. All right, I'm ready. My first hike. I showed up to my first hike in Jacksonville, North Carolina. Anybody that knows anything about the Marine Corps 
knows there's some Marines around there. Um, <laughs> a lot. That was my first event. And uh, there happened to be a drainage ditch alongside the hike. I'd, I'd never been to a hike before, ever. Had no idea really what culture we were trying to cultivate or what we were trying to accomplish. But, but I was like, there are going to be Marines jumping in that ditch. I know it. And I watched the first little pod of Marines pass military members, not just Marines. Um, but that's Marine heavy hike for sure. Watch them pass. And I was like, wow, I'm shocked. And just out of the corner of my corner of my eye, I see a flash of green and somebody just streaks past me and just face plants right into the drainage ditch. And I was like, Oh, all right. I feel better about this now. <laughs> like, the first one got out of the way. In that water. And seeing the reaction, like this guy just face plants and just lays there. I was like, wait, that was funny for a second. Now I'm worried. And seeing like an entire platoon of Marines run down this ditch to pluck him out and make sure he was okay. And I was like, oh, that's amazing. These are mature Marines. This is fantastic. And all of a sudden, five more people. Sploosh. I was like, oh, okay, it's a combination of both. But um, that, that irreverent side of, of the element was fantastic to see. Veterans that had been out 40 years, just right alongside a PFC that just got out of A school, making the greatest, most amazing bond happen and doing dumb together. It's a fantastic thing to see.